Since our recent trip to Farm Dirt in Houston, we started learning about sustainable, nutrient-rich compost, free from all the crazy stuff in conventional and organic compost. This led us to veganic farming. But what the hell is veganic farming? Let's learn more. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Austin Haynes with the Waking Justice Project. In today's podcast, we'll interview a true revolutionary who's making evolutionary change in their community. Resilient communities are the core building blocks of a just and sustainable global society. And the foundation of a resilient community is a just and sustainable local food economy. It's why the global revolution starts at home at local farms and community gardens, at grocery co-ops and local food hubs, in your own garden, in your kitchen, and on your plate. The local food supply chain is the foundation of a self-reliant community, and resilient, self-reliant communities are the core building blocks of a just and sustainable new society, a new social system that will make this existing system of corruption obsolete. That is the revolution we seek. The real revolution is a strategic, non-violent revolution. It builds self-reliance and community resilience. The real revolution is a local revolt. Our guest today has always been interested in gardening. He's the editor as well as a writer for Going Green International Magazine. He's also planted over 12,000 trees throughout the UK. Please welcome to the podcast, Tony Martin. Hi, Austin. Um, Many thanks for inviting us along. Man, many thanks for you being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today and give us a little bit of uh, your backstory and your knowledge. Um, Maybe we could just start with your uh, backstory. So you're really passionate about permaculture, gardening, and sustainable living, can you just tell us how you got interested in all that stuff? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, one of my earliest memories as a child uh, is being at my grandparents. Um, lovely sunny days, fresh peas in the pods, um, mint potatoes, freshly cooked. Uh, it's a very inspiring thing. Uh, then back in 1978, I, I went veggie. I just, I just couldn't keep on eating animals if I actually cared about them. Uh, I did it for animals, people and the environment. And then 1986, I went vegan for the same reasons. And the only regret is I didn't do it sooner, quite frankly. Right on. So basically, you started eating more fruits and vegetables, and you decided you wanted to start growing them yourself, right? Uh, from there, when I actually started to get my own place, I then started really looking into growing my own. Um, I moved to a place in Derby, which had about a tenth of an acre, and I planted over 60 fruit and nut trees in there, and I was getting yields of about I think it was 275 kilos from this fairly small space. But I just wow. ran out like, to plant stuff and uh, uh, and you just can't beat the taste of, of fresh stuff. So at that point, I decided 17 years ago, I needed somewhere bigger to work, um, somewhere big to, as a, as a canvas to paint my, my vision on. And I bought a place in Wales with five and a half acres uh, in South Wales in the UK. And uh, yes, it's, I've never regretted that either. Very cool. So was your transition to uh, like planning like veganic? Well, first of all, maybe you could just tell people what is veganic versus like organic? What are, what are the difference between those two terms? 
Well, veganity is made from the two words, vegan and organic. Uh, in typical vegan, uh, in typical organic uh, growth methods, they can use blood, bone, fish meal, and manure. And obviously we don't want to be part of that system. So it's just a combination of those two words to give you a more cruelty-free growing experience. Right on. So other than the cruelty-free factor, what is more sustainable about removing all the animal byproducts from the soil? You have the conversion factor that if you're feeding anything, you know, say corn or whatever, into an animal, there are losses in that animal. So there's that conversion factor. It means that you cannot grow as much food on the same area of land. And obviously as well, I think it's something like 80 or 90% of the world's mammals are now ones that we've grown for food. Um, it's destroying wildlife everywhere. It's removing our natural habitats, our carbon sinks. It's, it's destroying the world, basically. Yeah. So, all right, I want to ask you, what is permaculture and how can it improve your growing experience in general? Well, um, I got introduced to permaculture many years ago by a friend of mine, Rania, who's, who's very much a leading light in the permaculture movement. And at the time, to be honest, permaculture meant nothing to me. It was could it be a type of long-lasting yogurt culture for all I knew? I, I didn't have a clue. Yeah. Luckily, he was well ahead of me there. And um, back in, I think it was 2003, I did a permaculture design course with him, and I learned a lot about systems. But it's something you, you keep on growing into all the time. Uh, the best way I can describe it, really, is about having a jigsaw, uh, your life being a jigsaw. So you can have lots of individual pieces in there, but when you put them all together, you get a, a something which is much better than the individual pieces. The whole is much bigger and better. With the jigsaw, you start off and you find all the corners and you find the edges. And then you say you find some colours and then you find some shapes that are similar. And you section it out to like that. Whatever jigsaw it is, you can work your way through that jigsaw by following these basic principles. So it's very similar with permaculture in that you'll have a different situation in your garden, wherever you grow or whatever. But certain principles will apply in every situation. So produce no waste is a good example. Stinging nettles to some people are just weeds, but to me, they're food. Um, they're also, you know, they're very nutritious, they're very tasty. But if you've got too many of them, you can put them in water and they make a very good compost tea. So that's, that's one of the examples. Uh, another example might be that each element provides many functions. So if you have a greenhouse with some space in there uh, and a water bath, if you place your water butt inside the greenhouse, you'll protect the water butt from the sun's rays and from frost. And because water absorbs a huge amount of heat for its mass, uh, during the day, it'll keep temperatures down a bit in your greenhouse and prevent your plants getting burnt. And then at night, when it's cooler, it'll release that heat and give your plants more even temperature. And plants like a, a nice even temperature, if they can, to do their best growing. So it's fitting together those pieces of the jigsaw to make a more sustainable, permanent culture of, of life and growing, basically. So what was it you said about a water barrel? How does that work? Okay, so if, for instance, you have a water barrel, which um, you're collecting water, say, from your greenhouse, if you place this water barrel, which is often made of plastic, inside the greenhouse, you'll protect the plastic because of the glass in the greenhouse will help filter out the ultraviolet rays. But additionally to that, the water has a what they call a thermal mass, and that will, during the day, slow down the rise of heat, the rise of temperature in the greenhouse. 
and then at night it will slowly release that heat as it gets cooler outside. This means your plants get a more even temperature. They less likely to burn and they're less likely to get frost or just get too hot. So that water barrel is doing many functions for one item and that, that's very much part of permaculture. Get as many functions out of the system as you can. Uh, additionally, if you were to like, put a, a fine mesh cloth into this barrel and throw your weeds, your nettles or whatever in there, gradually they would dissolve into the water and make a nutrient-rich solution to feed your plants that are in the greenhouse. Uh, and also generate a small amount of heat, which will once again keep the greenhouse warm. So there's three benefits there from moving your structure from outside, if you've got space, to the inside. So that's part of permaculture, joined up thinking, thinking more than individual things. Make Think of systems rather than an individual process. Okay, so let me see if I'm getting this right. So the water barrel can also act as... Um, a compost tea because you're adding your weeds to it and over time it'll become nutrient rich water absolutely yeah yeah and then you can just put that directly onto your plants yeah as long as you've got a fine mesh cloth to stop any seeds getting through mm. um obviously it'll just finally dissolve through there and also if you've got that fine mesh cloth it won't clog your nozzle on your container so when you're pouring it out it won't block it for you okay so is veganic permaculture any different from normal permaculture? And if so, can you just explain that? Well, permaculture really is a set of principles uh, rather than the formula of you have to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, so really, there's, there's no practical difference between uh, veganic permaculture and standard permaculture, except that you don't use anything that's harmed an animal in the process. So basically, it's identical techniques. Okay. Just to switch it up a little bit, I was recently uh, listening to another podcast from Vaughn, and Vaughn is Vegan Organic Network, and um, someone said something that almost perfectly aligns with Waking Justice. They said, our commitment is to peace and justice for people, animals, and the environment in a sustainable balance. Can you just explain how humans can begin to achieve such balance? Well, sometimes I feel we need to break past uh, the negativity of those who are disillusioned or feel comfortable with the status quo. Um, I would say that we need to surround ourselves with those who support these and our goals. It could be something like joining uh, together and getting an allotment or growing some of your own veg or perhaps learning how to produce biochar um, and help lock away atmospheric carbon, which is something we really need to do uh, a lot of in, in this world to keep climate change down to a more reasonable level. I mean, every positive action that you take, every encouraging word you speak makes ripples in the world and they can extend far beyond what you can imagine. Um, I was in a supermarket the other day and I was just walking past the soy milk section and this woman was looking at the soy milks and trying to decide which one. And I said to her, yeah, that's a really nice one. And she said, oh, thank you. And she said, I saw something on Facebook that I can't unforget. So I often post stuff on Facebook to try and raise awareness. I accept anyone who wants to be my friend, I'll accept it. And then suddenly they've got loads of postings about animal injustice, human injustice, the planet. It probably switched me off very quickly, but they've seen something. They may have seen a picture that disturbs them, makes them think about changing and it's worth it. For sure. So in your mind... How are these topics related? How is the environment related to animal injustice 
and how is that related to food insecurity and human injustice? How are all those types of things related? I remember when I was just becoming vegetarian vegan and there was a famine going on in Ethiopia. And I, I saw in the news that we were importing grain from Ethiopia to feed people in this country. And I was absolutely disgusted by that. I couldn't mm. believe that we could do this to our fellow human beings, to the animals, to the environment. I mean, we live in a world where we can produce enough for everyone and we can do it without abusing animals and without abusing the planet. But at the moment, it's convenience. It's about money. It's about advertising, making you think you're missing out by not having the latest Pop-Tarts or the latest slice of an animal that you've never heard of before. They're so interconnected. It's unbelievable. As a human being, um, you can go out there and you can grow your own food. If you're trying to grow a cow, then it's obviously a lot different. So it's once again, even if it's you're not worried about the animals, you can say, well, I can stop importing stuff more by growing my own, even if I eat vegetarian or vegan. So it's very empowering that as well. So, yeah, so eating vegetarian and vegan helps you also eat more local, which is Absolutely. more sustainable. Yes, yeah. yes. much more sustainable. I mean, you're probably talking about five to ten times the area to uh, live on a Western diet, which is basically meat and dairy. I mean, obviously figures vary and stuff. Uh, people do say sometimes that, oh, but you can't use this land for other things. Well, I was told that about where I live. But for a start, the, the 12,000 trees that I've planted, are, I've made a huge ecosystem for wildlife here. They're storing carbon down there, reducing the risk of flood by slowing down water. They're allowing water to penetrate into the soil. It's not just the one thing of, well, we're not harming animals anymore. It's, it's much faster than that. I was very much interested to see the difference between my land and the land that is still owned by the farmer who just has sheep and cattle on the land. And roughly my land is about an inch or two higher than his land. And I believe most of that's down to the organic matter that's come down from the trees and has been incorporated in the soil. But also because there's so much more life in the soil, little um, creatures are burrowing through and making air holes in what was once compacted clay, you know, clay that had been squished flat by the hooves of the cows and the sheep, etc. So it's, it's much more like a sponge. So that means when it rains, instead of just going, pump, I've hit clay, I cannot get through, whoosh, off down to the river, flooding. It comes down onto the trees, it runs drip, drip, drip down there into the soil, refills that, and you get the aquifers refilled. It basically, it's a much more environmentally friendly piece of land than a, a land which has basically been denuded of anything useful to nature there's just grass there now so it makes a heck of a difference even if you can if you can get a piece of land and rewild it you're rewilding it not just for yourself or for the animals but for the planet as well so why did people tell you that it couldn't be done that you couldn't grow trees on your land i think basically it's they're setting their ways it's down from father to son you know probably been growing sheep cattle here for hundreds of years and basically you've got to find techniques that are appropriate to where you are and what you're doing. Um, Google culture beds are a, a great example. There's a chap called Sepp Holzer, who's growing stuff high up in um, Pyrenees, I think it's somewhere like that. And he's using giant rocks that are off the land to form microclimates, and he's growing things like apricots, which is amazing for that sort of place. Uh, well worth looking at. That's really interesting. So basically it's just, it's people are stuck in their ways. There's kind of, it seems to be like a lack of creativity, right? 
Like you're telling yeah. me there, there's all these tricks that you can just learn that can um, help your land flourish in ways Absolutely. that people never even imagined before. Absolutely. I mean, I think Tesla is a very good example of how the world can change when you get someone with a vision who's not stuck in the mud and what they're doing there is absolutely amazing. And I think we need more of that basically. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. We definitely need more creativity, more open-mindedness, more people willing to try new things. Um, so like you said, people hear something new and it starts like a ripple effect. They start thinking about it more. They start talking to other people. They start changing their life. With COVID-19, do you think that it's helped people change for the better and maybe start thinking different, like consciously and changing their lives in certain ways? I certainly think that has happened. I mean, I sell trees and I've seen a factor of three increase in the number of trees I've, sell, I've sold um, over this pandemic period. Obviously, it's been very hard for other people because patterns have shifted. But I think people have had a chance to step away from the nine to five. The weekends is when you go out, you go on your two weeks holiday to wherever. People had a chance to settle down and go, oh, this is nice sitting in the garden. Oh, I'm eating my own fruit and veg. This is a very different way to what we're used to with all the adverts saying buy this, buy that. Very much driven by, I think, a lot of people are. Probably not the people listening to this because if they're listening to your podcast, they're probably thinking, actually, there's an alternative to this daily grind. So I think this has been a wake-up call to a lot of people, and I'm hoping it will continue beyond the COVID situation into many years in, in advance. Sure. Yeah. What we're trying to push right now is kind of creating a parallel to society to the one we live in. And, yeah. you know, it's not about like tearing down the old society and just going against it completely. We just want to create something new that makes the old system obsolete. And it's a mixture of it's a mixture of like going back to the earth and doing things more like we used to do them, but yeah. also using that new creativity, you know, that you were talking about and that new open mindedness and um, looking at things in a new way, um, yeah. kind of breaking those old cycles. So, and rediscovering some old knowledge as well. Um, like exactly. Bio, been known for thousands of years. Yeah, can you um, talk about biochar? I was actually going to ask you about that. Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about it. But uh, afterwards, if your listeners would like to go to the Vons website, at the moment, all our back issues uh, are going to be available free to anyone in the world. Uh, we decided about six months ago that it was something we could do to help people. Um, people would will be having food insecurity, fresh food insecurity particularly, because of the supply chains, um, people working on the land, etc., so we decided to make everything freely available to everyone. Um, that's going on till the end of the year. And one of the articles in there is uh, about biochar. It teaches you what it is, what it does, how you can even make your own. Uh, so basically, biochar is a way of taking any organic matter and removing everything that isn't carbon from the system. And if you do it right, you can use that process where you basically burn the other residues to heat your house, to cook with or anything like that. So it's not being wasted energy and then what you get is about 40 percent of that energy is then locked up as carbon so where people have been digging coal out and burning it we're now taking the carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it down into the soil and it works as a soil improver basically if you imagine it's raining hard out there nutrients can be washed away from the soil but with biochar this water can go into the charcoal sit there with the nutrients until it's drier and the roots want to draw this out again 
uh, it can make your soil a lot lighter. I mean, soil here is very heavy clay. So biochar is, is a great additive for this particular soil. You've got the minerals, etc., that's in clay, the fine particulates of clay. And then you've got the charcoal, which can help hold nitrogen and uh, other stuff there ready for plants to use. So biochar is an amazing thing and well worth looking up. Awesome. So do you think that could be used as a, uh, as a way to offset climate change? Yeah, very much so. Um, there are obviously physical limits to the amount of biomass that you can grow. But if you've got, say, five acres with, say, four cows in there, um, you're producing methane, carbon dioxide, all the rest. If you instead you're growing, say, um, trees or perhaps hemp or something like that, which is a, a faster growing crop, you can then take that, burn it to generate energy. I mean, um, one of the problems we have at the moment with energy production is we have what are called pica plants. I don't know if you've heard of those at all. No, so I basically, um, basically, you have demand from the grid system. And if, say, I don't know, a fantastic television program finishes and everyone goes and switches on their kettle, suddenly there's a big uptake of energy. Mm. And so what they have is pica plants, typically natural gas powered, and they will come online very quickly pumping the extra energy into the grid to stop it failing. Now, instead of that, what we could do is have a system that's based on biochar, where you take off the gases that are produced when making biochar, store those gases and use them to run these peak plants. And at the same time, you're producing the biochar to actually store back carbon into the, um, into the ground. So that's wow. as long as it's done properly, because there have been bits where we've done this ridiculous importing chopped up bits of tree from America to feed biomass burners in this country, which is insane. Bioethanol seems to be a very bad move as well. So it's got to be done correctly, but there is a great deal of scope for more local generation that would help with this, this peaking problem. Well, that sounds like a hell of a business model right there. Somebody needs to put that together, right? They do. Unfortunately, there's a lot of entrenched money in nuclear in gas etc but there was something amazing that shell the other day said which really surprised the heck out of me that they wanted to bring forward the electric cars to be the only ones sold from 2030 and i was like you know if shell is actually getting this we must be getting somewhere yeah yeah so let's see how would you like to see your work and your knowledge eventually help the world evolve further I think when something is profoundly interesting and it's, it gives profound benefits, I think it will naturally translate its way through the world. Um, I would ask people who are listening to this to pass on your podcast to anyone and everyone they know and see if we can snowball this, basically. That, that's the way things happen, is by people telling other people. We can't rely on industry, on commerce to give us the correct answers they are all about the money it's yep. up to you me and people listening here that's very true so since it's all about us doing it ourselves i want to ask you to give the people some tips to inspire them on how to grow their own food because it starts there on the local level right absolutely it starts, with you. it starts with you picking up a seed and doing something with that seed um so i will first thing i would say is do it um, whether or not it's sprouting some lentils or taking on a lot more with some friends. Um, I mean, personally, I, I, many other people find the most peaceful moments. I just spent pottering around in the garden, doing a bit of weeding, a bit of planting. It's, it's a very different thing to sitting there in front of YouTube or the telly or anything else, really. 
you're there in nature. I mean, the, there are benefits. Um, I know there's a link between depression and uh, bacteria in soil, which can help reduce depression in people. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. It's, it's We're so disconnected from our natural world. We live in a house that's made of chemicals. We go to work in a chemical-filled container. We work in a chemical-filled building. So, um, quite frankly, most of what you find in a supermarket is not food. It's, it's more chemicals. Unless you're going there and eating the fresh fruit and veg, preferably you've grown yourself. We're doing things to our body that we really shouldn't do. But the benefits are not just tasty, healthy fruit and veg. Um, there is gentle exercise, especially with no-dig methods. And I would highly recommend people looking to no-dig. Uh, there's a woman called Steph Hafferty who has a great site on Facebook. Uh, she works with Charles Dowding. And quite frankly, I, I don't know about other people, but my back would much more appreciate no-dig than dig. And also, you're not disturbing the soil. I mean, the thing about no dig is that if you imagine our skin works in layers, if we were to rip that skin up and put it back down again, it wouldn't work properly. And that's very much with soil. We have layers of mycorrhizal fungi, which I probably pronounced wrong, that go underneath there and transport nutrients and sugars, etc. Where we don't see it, we might get um, a nitrogen-fixing plant that passes it to a tree that needs nitrogen. And that will feed back sugars to the plant that's producing nitrogen. So there's a lot of symbiosis that goes on there. It's destroyed by modern tilling. There's actually an amazing BBC video on YouTube where it shows a field that's been ploughed 30 years ago. And all the birds coming down, picking up the wildlife out there. You see the same field ploughed 30 years later. There's no wildlife in there. There's no things for the birds to eat. It just sits there. It's a dead soil. So that's, that's an important thing. So if you're a beginner, I would say that first, try growing plants that you know are successful in your area uh, rather than just choosing your favourite. I know it's nice to think, oh, yes, asparagus, I'll grow asparagus. Yeah. Um, but that may or may not work in your area. So ask around, you know, speak to local people and see what works and just get into a swing of it that way. Then you'll get a success and you'll feel much more like doing more next year. Another permaculture principle is earth care and people care. And as veganic growers, we would add creature care to that list. Uh, share the bounty of your labours with others. It might be worth coordinating with other local growers. Someone might be really wanting to grow lots of potatoes. Courgettes are a, a typical one. Um, courgettes come in huge rate flourishes and you can pass them out to lots of friends. So if you know someone's growing courgettes, try growing tomatoes or potatoes um, and share amongst you. Uh, and finally, uh, the biggest tip I can give you is if you can, please join Von or at least follow on social media or sign up for our newsletter. Basically, with your help, we can create a kinder, healthier world by spreading the word of veganic growing techniques to growers, farmers, retailers, media and the government. Um, but we can only do that if we've got people there helping us. I mean, if, if you do nothing else and just spread your podcast out there, you're doing something. If you can join us, you're doing some more. We've got a lot of resources on our website. Uh, as I say, the um, our back issues of the magazine free, and that's something like about fifteen or sixteen hundred pages of content produced over the last twenty-three years, I think. Come join us on our Facebook. You know, ask questions there. The experts just join in, basically. Yeah, I want to second that. I want to tell everybody to go visit Vaughn's website, subscribe to them, follow them, because you guys are awesome and you're an incredible resource. I've used your website a lot already in my research for this podcast and i just love what y'all are doing it's really incredible and um 
I want to uh, talk about one thing that I found interesting in what you just said. And you were talking about symbiosis. And you were talking about how, you know, when we can all work together, things just work naturally. Um, I had a premonition when I was doing a podcast the other day. And the guy I was interviewing, uh, Danny at Farm Dirt in Houston, Texas, he makes veganic soil. And one thing he was talking about was, uh, you know, the microorganisms in the soil. I didn't know that basically you're feeding, when you're feeding a plant, what you're really feeding is the microorganisms. And you need to have these healthy microorganisms in your soil in order for your, basically for your garden to flourish for the dirt to flourish for the for the plants and everything to uh to to grow and thrive and i started thinking that our stomachs are very similar you know we have these microorganisms in there and we have to feed them you know what i mean to get optimal health we have to feed them and it just so happens that they like leafy green vegetables and they like you know fresh raw Fruits and veg, basically. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm just starting to connect the dots between the symbiotic relationship in our stomach to the symbiotic relationship in the soil and how doing yeah. these things makes the soil healthier. It makes us healthier. I just think it's so cool put, just connecting these dots. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I sometimes ask people, I say to them, wait, I've got some cheap petrol. It's not very good for your car, but, you know, it's cheap. I'm not going to put that in my car. Why don't I put that rubbish in my car? I go, well, why would you eat this nasty chemical-laden food? And they go, so they take more care of their car than they will their own bodies. So I'm, I'm guilty as anyone else. You know, I, I like a nice, nice chocolate pot. I like, um, you know, packet of crisps or whatever. But I definitely think you're right. Green leafy veg, fresh raw stuff, as much as you can, I mean... I think eating healthy is is great, not only because you feel better, but you can do much more with your life. Um, last year, my son said to me, I'm going to do this rat race 30 weekend, which sounds very strange, but it's actually a, a race over, well, we did the 14-mile part of the course, uh, and it's 150 obstacles through mud, swimming across lakes, clambering over uh, haystacks, the height of a house, going under all sorts of things. Lots more mud as well. And basically, we did that. We did this this race together. But additionally to that, we got up at half five in the morning. We'd camped over the night before, up at half five. And we were working on the store from six o'clock in the morning till 12 o'clock to gain reduced entry to the, to the event, because we're cheap skates. And uh, then at 12 o'clock, we had lunch. One o'clock, we started the race. And we did this 14 miles, 150 obstacles, and survived. So anyone who says vegans, all oh, their bones crumble and whatever, this is rubbish. Go for it. It's rubbish. That's all a part of that new mindset that we're bringing to the world. People yes. have to realize that vegans are strong. We, we yeah. handle business. And at, at yeah. 59, if you ran 14 miles, you're doing really good. You're doing yeah. really good. I mean, when I was a when I was younger, I first went vegan. The knowledge was just not out there. It was like, you don't suck on the teeth of a cow. Your bones will crumble. I thought, that sounds like a load of... Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in those days, there really wasn't the internet. There really wasn't that knowledge base out there. It was all hearsay. It was all the milk marketing board say, you have to drink this. Otherwise, your bones crumble. You have to eat this or you won't be strong. All rubbish. So... 
I just want to thank you for taking the time to uh, do this podcast with me today. And yeah, it's been awesome. I really have learned a lot. And I want to once again, just inspire people to go to your uh, web pages. Can you just give folks like some links to your social media and websites and stuff like that? Uh, Yeah, I mean, our main site is www.veganorganic.net. Um, you've got links there to Facebook, or you can just search for Vegan Organic now on Facebook. And also, I've looked up uh, Aranya Permaculture. Um, he's the chap who I did my perm PDC with, and he is absolutely brilliant. He will wear you down to a nub because you put so much in his courses, but he's absolutely brilliant. And he's also doing them online now because of the COVID situation. And also, Graham Burnett is a fantastic teacher as well. He's been teaching uh, veganic permaculture but I don't know how many years. Uh, very sociable, very helpful. Um, Steph Haverty for uh, No Dig. She's absolutely excellent. Ian Tolhurst uh, is an amazing farm who's been growing veganically for, I think, 20 or 25 years. He's produced a, a brilliant book. Um, that's all. You can see the books, uh, different books we've got on our website. Yeah, and obviously the per- permaculture.co.uk. That's a, a brilliant place to get heck of a lot of knowledge look up things like Sepp Holtz uh, Google Culture Beds Biochar you'll see lots of articles there as well so well worth visiting that site right on well thank you so much Tony I appreciate you joining me today my pleasure and thanks very much for having us you got it go check these guys out y'all Yo, thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you're currently involved in a local project that strengthens the links in your local food supply chain, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at wakingjustice.org and tell us about your work. And if you want to learn more about local revolutionaries making evolutionary change in their communities, find us on your favorite podcast platform or head on over to wakingjustice.org to meet the team, check out more episodes, and learn more about the project. And to become a financial supporter of this podcast and to gain access to members-only content, visit patreon.com slash wakingjustice. And remember, the real revolution builds self-reliance and community resilience. That's why the real revolution is a local revolt. You must be involved in the struggle for freedom and justice. Justice is rising and it ain't just us, it's all of us. If it's my love.